buckle up racing fans because today we're driving into the turbocharged history of Polyphony Digital, the powerhouse behind the iconic Gran Turismo series. And you'll never believe how it got its start. Go ahead and rev your engines because we're about to hit the gas on this ride through the twists and turns of gaming history on today's trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 173rd episode of our video game history podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane. Each week we'll tell you a story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. It can be about a game, a console, a person, just something relevant to this week. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Today, we're putting the pedal to the metal as we explore the evolution of Polyphony Digital, the genius minds behind the game-changing Gran Turismo franchise, which saw its first release on December 23rd, 1997, 26 years ago this week. I'm your host, David Casson, and alongside me is my co-driver, who can't resist hitting the nitrous in every single race. He's my brother, Rob Casson. Rob, how heavy are we on the nitrous exactly? Well, Dave, I'm thinking we go to the moon and do a thousand shot. <laughs> we go to the moon? We're just going to moonshot it right off the bat. Damn straight, baby. If you ain't first, you're last. <laughs> it would like be launching a rocket indeed. Oh. Our piston will probably be orbiting the moon. <laughs> the piston has to depend. Oh, yeah, some piece, some pieces. Gone. Motor, gone. Front end, gone. It'd be a good time, actually. Oh, yeah, it would. Depending on the vehicle, if it was something we didn't we weren't like in love with, it would be a really good time. Dodge neon, baby. Dodge. That's that's how we do. So what you've been playing? Well, Dave, this week has seen RuneScape, Valheim, a little bit of farming simulator. And I believe that is it. Great. Yeah. How about yourself? Valheim and Alan Wake 2. Hey, nice. Living up to the glory. It will probably shape up to be one of my favorite games of the year, if not my favorite game of the year. And I think top five survival horror game of all time. Okay, that's pretty high. I'm pretty sure it'll end up on the uh, near the top of the list. It is it is. It's solid. I, 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 it's a solid game. So, well, we're here and our story today begins in a place that we visited a few times very recently, you know, in the beginning when Sony was just getting into making games, they created the Japan studio, you know, a couple episodes ago, we talked about the Sony PlayStation and the thing of it is when Sony first got into video games, they weren't a video game company. Not in any way, shape, or form. They were an electronics company. They were a music company. And when they had gotten into 
this form of entertainment, that's how they knew what to be. Like they knew how to be a movie studio. They knew how to be a music studio. And specifically their early foray into video games was kind of run under the umbrella of this, the music productions. And we kind of talked about this back in episode 164 when we discussed Shadow of the Colossus and how Team Eco came to be. You know, it, back then, Japan Studio was building things like their music side was. You know, on the music side of things, producers would seek out creative talent. They would build teams around them. It, it's the way that you build a brand around a talented musician. That's how they were building these video game development teams. So Team Eco was built around Fumito Ida, but the team of Polly's Entertainment was built around its director, Kazunori Yamauchi. So Kaz, as he's best known, had really been making games as a hobby since his high school days in the mid-80s, maybe sooner. He had gotten into making 2D games in the 16-bit era, but as... Real-time 3D became a thing he envisioned about what it could be, and that included in his mind a realistic driving simulator. But realistically, Kaz had been like video, video making video games to him in the beginning was really just a hobby. In a 2013 interview, he stated, becoming a video games designer was really an accident. As a child, there were no video games. I was 10 years old when I came across my first computer. My dreams then were like so many others, to become an astronaut. And then when I joined Sony, I wanted to make films. I had used to make my own films between junior high and high school, but the department I was placed in was developing the PlayStation, and they told me to make video games. I had no idea then that I could make a living from them. All of a sudden, what I had thought was just a hobby suddenly became a job. So he came to Japan studio and he pitched the idea for his game, a realistic driving simulator, to the executives at Sony, hoping that they would bite and he could get started making what he wanted to make right off the bat. But this was not the case. They felt that the scope was too ambitious. They felt that the concept of a realistic driving simulator had little appeal to the masses, and they just they weren't interested. But Kaz had a great idea he decided to pitch a project in the racing game genre that would be easier for the executives to get behind. Now, this is the latter half of 1992. We are less than a year, months, removed from the release of Super Mario Kart, which was one of the absolute best-selling games for the Super Nintendo. So right now, there is a demand for the broad appeal of kart games. Everyone's jumping on the Super Mario Kart bandwagon, right? Duh. So Kaz decides to take advantage of that. He says, hey, let's make a kart racer just like Mario Kart. And of course, the executives just eat it up. Heck yeah. Let's 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 take down Mario Kart. Let's let's get that money, honey. Right. Oh, for sure, man. Come on. But at that moment, Kaz makes a calculated decision. A great one. In fact, he decides that on the surface, they would make this cartoon kart racer. But on the inside, they would start developing a physics simulation. They would start developing his dream project. And that's exactly what Polly's Entertainment did. They hid the creation of Gran Turismo 
inside this cartoon kart racer. So the project was initially called Pali Pali Circus Grand Prix. The team brought in an illustrator, Susumu Masushida, who is well known for being an illustrator with a very exaggerated American comic influence designed. And even though they had that cartoon aesthetic, they were really committed to designing a realistic gameplay experience. So in another interview, Cash says, we're not trying to fake reality. I'd rather create the sensation of handling a remote control car, but with the kind of dynamics that you'd expect from a real car. The car suspensions actually work. We've attempted to simulate the dynamic forces as they go around corners. So I remind you at this time, racing simulators were not a thing. Racers were pretty much all arcade racers. You know, 92, I honestly think the first NASCAR PC game was 94. So we're before that. We would have had Indy 500 in 90 or 91, which I loved playing, but only to create the biggest accidents I possibly could. And it really, I mean, it wasn't designed to be a simulation. The technology just wasn't there yet for a simulation, right? So the concept of designing a game that controlled like a real car, that was something really new. No one had really done it at that point. So they're working on this kart racer and admittedly they don't get all the time. They need to work on everything. Big shock, right? A video game rushed under development. Never. That doesn't happen. It never happens. They work on the title for a year and a half, roughly. And Sony was looking to make Polly Polly Circus Grand Prix a launch title, which as we learned a few episodes ago, when we talked about the PlayStation was December 3rd, 1994. So the months roll by, the date approaches, and the team finds themselves in a crunch. They have to rush the final three months of development just to meet that date. And they kind of did. It was released around the launch date, give or take a few weeks. It actually came out two weeks later, December 16th, 94. It was just okay. It never rated really well. It sold all right, though. Nothing extraordinary. It was never even localized in North America. Um, In fact, when the world was looking at the release of the PlayStation for North America and Europe in 95, the head PlayStation guy at the time, Phil Harrison, said that this title, which was launched as Motor Tune Grand Prix, it was a launch under performer, and it wasn't indicative of any products that are coming down the line. So they didn't see this as a launch title or a title that they were planning on bringing to the United States because it didn't do well in any way, shape or form. Despite this, a sequel was greenlit. A sequel aptly titled Motor Tune Grand Prix 2, which was actually released over here in North America, surprise, surprise, as Motor Tune Grand Prix, because they had never brought the first one over to the United States. So the second one in Japan is the first one in the States. That's not confusing at all. I I was trying to follow. It took me a minute to even process what you were saying, and I still don't know. So, yeah, Motor Tune Motor Tune Grand Prix Two in Japan, also known as the Motor Tune Grand Prix USA Edition, is Motor Tune Grand Prix One in North America. Like, okay, we never got the first game in the series, and they renamed the second game in the series to just Motor Tune Grand Prix when they localized it here. All right. Well, I guess, hey, whatever works. 
The second one is looked at more favorably than the first when it came over to the United States. I don't know. Maybe it was car culture or whatever. It rated better. People liked it. It, it really did nothing of note, though. I mean, I've never heard of Motor 2 and Grand Prix. Have you? No. No, I have not. But it's important. Both of them are important. Because like I said, from the get-go, they were hiding the development of their dream project. The development of a realistic car simulator in this little cartoon or cartoon cart game. And now, now things had changed. His dream project wasn't a dream. Because being able to release a marketable product really changes how the executives perceive you and their trust, their faith in you. It changes once you produce stuff. And that's what Motor Tune Grand Prix did for the team at Pally's Entertainment. It allowed the Sony executives to have faith in them. So they tried again. Let me pitch Gran Turismo to you. And this time he got to green light. So the thing about the development of Gran Turismo that sticks out through the entire thing is that Kaz Yamauchi had a very clear vision of what he wanted. In a 2017 interview, co-producer Shuhei Yoshida commented that Kaz had the charm and charisma to make people believe that he and his team could accomplish an impossible looking task at the time. And that's exactly what he did. He went out, he reached out to all these coders that had written articles in really specialized magazines you know, this guy is writing articles on 3D graphics. This guy is writing articles on physics engines for the PC. And he reached out to all these really specialized guys and he worked his charm on them and he brought them over into the Gran Turismo team. Heck, the guy who wrote the physics engine for the very first Gran Turismo still writes the physics engines for the seventh Gran Turismo 27 years later. Damn, that's impressive. And look, this is early in game development for Sony. This is early in game development period. We're still looking at smaller teams, teams, development teams that aren't that big. In the case of Gran Turismo, they started out with a team of five. And by the time they released the title, they only had a team of 20. So we're not talking big, you know, hundreds, now thousands of people development teams. We're still talking about like, a classroom of people or less, you know? And starting with, starting with the creation of Toon Motor Grand Prix in late 1992, the team worked on Gran Turismo over five years, five years. You should have recalled parts of the development process in which he said, I always found Kaz and his team sleeping under their desk when I came into the office in the morning. And Yamauchi was once asked how difficult it was to create Gran Turismo, and he commented, it took five years. In those five years, we could not see the end. I would wake up at work and go to sleep at work. It was getting cold, so I knew it must be winter. I estimate that I was home only about four days a year at one point. That is insane. So this is a team that is incredibly committed to their vision, like very committed to their vision of being a realistic driving simulator. But Yoshida, who was a Sony executive that was brought into, you know, eventually Sony executives at this point, he's a producer for Japan studio. He's brought in, he's the counterbalance to that, right? He brings to the team a perspective from someone who is not a car enthusiast. 
he's someone who is more familiar with video games. And so he's looking more so at the game as a player of video games. And his perspective, he really helps the team pull back the realism just enough to make it fun and accessible for everyone. You know, he recalled an instance where like, he's got like 20 play testers in a room and they're all struggling to break and smashing into the wall on the first turn of a track. And he goes, guys, like you got to pull this back a little bit, which they did. You know, one of the things that Gran Turismo is known for is phenomenal handling, but also it's a lot of fun. That's a balance, right? Not everyone wants to play an exact exact racing simulator. There's there's always a balance to that. So all in all, the creation of Gran Turismo, it's a technological achievement, right? Perhaps what the game is best known for is its car physics. Like I said, no one else had been doing realistic car simulators. The car physics in Gran Turismo were truly unlike anything else the world had seen at that point. They were able to design the game to actually like accept parameters on how each car controlled to make the simulation. That was 140 different cars in the beginning. They all handled differently to begin with. And then you could go and tweak their setups or add parts of the car and each change would modify the simulation even more. So what's most impressive about this is like a lot of guys, when they'll go to code a racing game, they'll go and say, okay, when you're driving the car, go straight. And then when you turn the controller, the the car is going to go to the right. Like they look at the, they look at creating a simulation, creating a game like this at what the car is supposed to do and where it's supposed to go. Does that make sense? Yeah. But what they did when they were creating specifically the physics engine, I got to watch a documentary with some really fascinating stuff is they literally calculated it down to how the parts of the car control the car. Like it's, it's an actual simulation. It's physics. It's, it's, it's all that stuff. It's not just cargo from a to B it's this shock causes the car to move in this direction in this way, or this weight causes the car to shift when you brake in this way. Like it's legitimately, you know, a, a simulation. It's even more impressive to think of when you consider that for the first one, there were car manufacturers that wouldn't even give them performance data to help assist them with this. They got design data from some manufacturers to make the cars look great, but there were, car manufacturers that were very protective of the performance data on how their cars performed. And they didn't want to relinquish that to of all people, a video game manufacturer. They didn't know who else they were talking to. So they wouldn't give up those numbers. And so for those cars, the team had to kind of guesstimate the performance of the car. And truth is in the end, they kind of nailed it bang on like, did you ever play the original? No, not I. I've actually only played one or two of the Gran Turismo series, so mm-hmm. I'm not the most knowledgeable about it. And the thing of it is, is like there was just a lot of different things that you could modify in the game. There were so many different elements in it. I remember when Gran Turismo came out; it looked good 
for me, Gran Turismo has always been the game that has pushed. It's the first game I can remember thinking about a concept like photorealism. You know, in the first one, we weren't really there yet. I mean, it wasn't until maybe the third <coughs> one. I mean, second one, maybe third one that like they could trick the concept of photorealism. But I remember thinking that this is one of the first games where like, wow, like this, this, this is realistic. Like this looks like a car. This looks like a photo, right? It wasn't photorealistic we weren't quite there yet but it was it was leaps and bounds over like the blocky cars that we had in just about everything else so it was it was it was amazing you know there wasn't really anything else trying to be realistic you know we had talked about ridge racer recently which is a drifting arcade racer arcade racers were the norm you know even like the need for speeds which were trying to be realistic weren't per se Simulations just weren't common. On top of all the realistic cars, they nailed all these places you race in, all the different times in which you can race in them. I mean, the original Gran Turismo was really just something special. And then the gameplay itself was something really different. First of all, you have license tests, which I hated licensing tests. I hated licensing tests. It was the game teaching you how to play it, while also teaching, like, pushing you to do better. You couldn't compete in certain events unless you got the, a license. You couldn't get a license unless you comp completed, you know, certain maneuvers at certain time, you know, with, like, a time attack or tracks at certain times. Like, it, it made you learn how to drive competitively to get the license to be able to play in the higher levels of the game. So that's the license test. And then... There was progression, right? This is so common now, but there weren't any games that had done this yet. You had to race to earn money to get better cars or better parts to make your car faster. Suddenly, you have a racing game that's incorporating role-playing elements into it, if you think about it. You have a you start out with a slow, small car, like a like a you know, just something that you'd buy for $500 with the most basic license. And you basically race your way into better cars and you work your way into higher license classes. It's a simulation game with a gameplay loop that is, I mean, it's a gameplay loop. Race, get money, buy better car, win better race, get money, buy better car, win better race, rinse and repeat. Just about every other racing game was like, okay, cool. Get from point A to point B. You win. Great. Get from point A to point B. You win. Great. I mean, look at Mario Kart wh where they started with a kart racer. You get trophies, you know, as you won to be fair to Mario Kart, like you unlock the higher CCs, but the simulation was doing it realistically. It was, it was kind of real, right? You earned money, you could buy a better car. That's how that's how real life kind of works, you know? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, you know, that's part of what I prefer about those games. It's definitely a lot more of a grind. But as we all know, with me playing RuneScape weekend and week out, I love a grind. So, but you, there were, you know, it's sometimes hard. We talk about how hard it is to have these discussions, right? Now, racing, that's a racing game, right? We play a lot of Forza. Forza does that in some way, shape, or form. 
I mean, they give you cars as gifts, but also like you earn money to improve your car, right? Yeah. Need for speed is another great example. It, that is just so commonplace, but it came here. Gran Turismo invented that gameplay loop for racing games. Hmm. And the team had to work really, really hard just to make, you know, make Gran Turismo work for the PlayStation. It It, it is a technical achievement in every which way. You know, they designed it. Not only did they design an excellent game, but they designed it on an unreleased console. You know, and if you've listened to any of other episodes on games that are on new consoles, you know that these guys all basically have to write the book on how to make games for new systems. In the case of Gran Turismo, they had to work really hard just to get a simulation to perform the way they wanted it to on the system. In the, you know, when you develop for a new a new system, usually the manufacturer of said system gives you all these libraries that help you interact with their system. But in the case of Gran Turismo, they found that a lot of these libraries were slow and they actually had to go back to writing this game in assembly code, like the basic of the basic in order to strip out the fluff and get it to, to perform the way they want it to perform to get every, to get every bit of power that they needed out of this new system. That's a lot. And then let's not forget Gran Turismo was the first game designed to fully support the dual shot controller. Vibration feedback in controllers is commonplace now, but at the time it had just been released. The dual shock was not the first, the N64 Nintendo rumble pack, the rumble pack that added rumble to the Nintendo 64 controllers. That was the first time we had a controller with vibration feedback that had just come out in April of that year. And the DualShock controller was released in November, just a few weeks before Gran Turismo came out. So Gran Turismo is the first game that uses a DualShock controller. So was the addition with the PlayStation 2, was it just the addition of the joysticks was the, the, the change the original? Yeah, yeah, analog. That's the yeah. Dual Shock okay. Two with the analog. So they still sticks. had the dual, the the vibrating mode. I didn't realize that. Yep. Well, and then the Dual Shock didn't actually come with the PlayStation. It was an ad. It was an addition. Like it, you know, with the PlayStation Two, you got the Dual Shock Two with the analog sticks, and 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 then it was included with everything. So I mean, every game took advantage of it back then. So. But I remember I remember having getting a DualShock 2 controller with this. And I remember it's so goofy the things you think of, but like that feedback, I mean, every time and I'm sad we don't get to experience it as much, but every time we had like a technological breakthrough for that, like it was always just so amazing. Like the first time a controller vibrated in my hands, like I accelerated a car and could feel it in my hand in the controller like that was such a freaking cool concept in 1997 like that was like oh my god here's the future right i'm actually getting tactile feedback on what i'm doing in a video game that is pretty awesome it's we take things like that for granted but before gran turismo that wasn't a thing at all you know so all in all like we heard from kaz in the beginning kazanucci Kazunori, Kaz Kaz. The team worked on this game for five years. They polished it, they polished it, and it was finally released to the world on December 23rd, 1997. 
which blows my mind two days before Christmas. Can you can you imagine a gaming release now a few days before Christmas? Not like now, like 10 years ago when midnight releases were actually a thing. It's just crazy to think of that someone would attempt a midnight release on a video game two days before Christmas. Because they know people are going to go out and rush for it for mad. It's all the kids are talking about. Oh, you got to get this. You got to get this. Come on. It's it's releasing just for Christmas. It'll be the perfect gift. Yeah. I mean, it just goes to show if you make it and it's good, people will show up for it. So. Speaking of which. Speaking of which, are you looking to make your own great content? Maybe start your own podcast? Educate the world on something you're very passionate about? If so... Look no further than the all-in-one podcasting suite provided by our friends at Zedcaster to help you get started. With Zencaster, it's super easy to record a podcast. Everyone logs in using their web browser, and you just start recording a high-quality podcast right away. It also allows you to record up to 4K video with your guests, if video is how you'd like to present yourselves. And with Zencaster's multi-layered backups, you always have the highest quality recordings, even if the connection is unstable. And with Zencaster, you never have to worry about what you sound like. Zencaster's post-production process makes you sound buttery smooth. It automatically removes all those ahs and ums, removes those awkward pauses and conversation. You can set the right podcast loudness, reduce background noise. All of this is done with a single click of a button. And if the thought of podcasting overwhelms you because you think you need tons of different tools and services... Relax. Those days are over. With Zencaster's all-in-one podcasting platform, you can create your podcast all in one place and distribute it to Spotify, Apple, and other major destinations. So if you'd like to start your own podcast, maybe you have one you're looking to take it to the next level, we've got a deal for you. If you go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and you use our offer code memory card lane, you'll get 30% off the first month of any of Zencaster's paid plans. Sign up for Zencaster today, and you can experience the same ease in producing your own high-quality podcast as we do each week. So, release day. Kaz Yamauchi recalled the feeling of release day. He felt strange about things. I just kind of watched in disbelief as people bought our game, he said. I think at the time, there was no room left to feel accomplishment. We were happy but we just couldn't believe it. We worked on the first Gran Turismo for a very long time. It really felt like the game belonged to the team. We held on to it and held on to it and nurtured it until the very last possible moment. That's when the Gran Turismo that was our very own suddenly wasn't ours anymore. And it wasn't theirs. It belonged to the people, like you said. And they bought it hand over foot. The first Gran Turismo sold just over 10 million copies worldwide. It has an aggregate rating on Metacritic of about a 96 out of 100. So very sold very well, incredibly well received video game. That is awesome. One of the highest rating, one of the highest rated racing games, period, in the history of when they've been rating games. So the success of Gran Turismo allowed the team of Polly's Entertainment to reestablish themselves as an independent studio named Polyphony Polyphony Digital. 
Almost immediately, the team got to work on their next project, well, their next few projects, to be fair. One, of course, was a sequel, Gran Turismo 2, and we'll come back to that in a moment. We'll circle back around. But the other, the other is a three-dimensional shoot-em-up called Omega Boost. It rated well, but it was released late in the PlayStation's lifespan. It came out in April or September of 99, depending on which country you lived in. Some say it has the best graphics on the PlayStation. Really no surprise because great graphics is what Polyphony is known for. Um, But it really didn't do anything else. And to this day, Omega Boost remains the only non-racing game made by by Polyphony Digital. So, little, little detour. They decided to try making something else. And then just decided it wasn't for them. So... The thing that Kaz is is known for, I mean, he's an excellent driver. That's one thing. Uh, But he's also a bit of a perfectionist. In a 2010 interview, he was asked, why do you keep doing it? Meaning, why do you keep making Gran Turismo games? And 2010, at this point, they have just released or about to release the fifth Gran Turismo. And Kaz says, every time it's the same for me. I'm usually pretty frustrated when a version comes out. Right after the release, I think we should have done this or should have done that. A game release is not a very happy time for me. When a new title comes out, I look to the next one to fix it. So there you go. He takes that motivation and keeps like immediately working on the next iteration in the Gran Turismo series. I mean, hopefully still feeling quite a lot of pride in what he's already accomplished, not just looking at the bad. I mean, Eh. damn. Admittedly, the production of Gran Turismo 2 wasn't perfect. They did that whole got to get it out for the holiday deal for the holiday of 1999. So no doubt they crunched during the end of production when they're working out the bugs. The second game is kind of well known for a few bugs. One that's well known as a completion glitch. Uh, Certain versions of the game you can only get 98.2%. That would be every version but the European version because there are two races meant only for the European version and they were never taken out of the calculations for completion in any other version. That would irritate the living piss out of me. There's another glitch in one of the endurance races in which a 680 horsepower car shows up to race against cars with a 280 horsepower restriction. Okay, so it's an easy win. So totally easy win. But there were good there were good things about Gran Turismo 2. You know, we went from 170, 180 cars to 650 cars and 27 tracks. A lot of good stuff. Wow. For Gran Turismo 3, we got the series introduced to the next generation of consoles. That'd be the first one for the PlayStation 2. As a result, everything is better. Better graphics, physics, sound, the cars, AI, absolutely everything is an improvement. They had to pull back content to make that happen. It goes back to the 180 cars and less amount of tracks. You know, all of that content they had to rebuild. It's much more highly detailed. But when you're doing it, that kind of work, you can't always do it at the same volume. But they took what they they took what they learned with Gran Turismo 3. They put all that work back into Gran Turismo 4, the next installment in the PS2. When it was released in December of 2004, it had 721 cars and 51 tracks. It was a smashing success. It sold over 11 million copies. It's the third best-selling game on the PlayStation 2. I should note that its predecessor, Gran Turismo 3, is the second best-selling game on the PlayStation 2, 
Rob, what do you think the best-selling game on the PS2 is? <clears throat> I'm going to guess that it was one of the Grand Theft Autos. It was one of the Grand Theft Autos. It was San Andreas. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Those yeah, de- definitely. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. So the third and the first versions are also unique. They got these preview versions released in Japan, starting with the fifth one. We got the we got like it's called Gran Turismo 5 Prologue, but there was prologues, so to speak, released for Gran Turismo 3 and Gran Turismo 4 in Japan. Gran Turismo 3 also had some like specific manufacturer versions that were made and sold in Japan that were distributed at like car shows too. Oh, it's like it'd be like Suzuki branded or yeah, Nissan Tokyo. Yeah, stuff like that. So neat. Yeah, so the third and fourth one got these demos, these prologues that became a thing for the pretty. I mean, pretty much the rest of the series. They they've done that. In two thousand six, they took Gran Turismo four and they used it as the basis for a motorcycle racing game, which is called Taurus Trophy. That's all. That's that's about that. <laughs> they Fair brought enough. this. I mean, it's 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 Gran Turismo with motorcycles. That's the only way to put it. And they've only made one, so it kind of goes to show you the popularity of it. Mm-hmm. It's it, I mean it's Gran Turismo 4 with, with motorcycles, you know. They did a PlayStation Portable Gran Turismo in 2009. Yep, that's one of the ones that I played. Still actually have it to this day, if I actually. Nice. Ironically enough, it is one of the two games within reach of me for my PlayStation. <laughs> so yep, I'm staring right at it. So yeah, PSP Gran Turismo. Neat. 2010 brought us Gran Turismo 5 for the PlayStation 3, introducing it to that generation of consoles. It has over a thousand cars, 77 tracks set in 29 different locations. The power, the technology of the PlayStation 3 let them add a bunch of things. This one has dynamic time and weather effects for the first time. You get online racing for up to 16 players for the first time, thanks to the PlayStation Network, you know, which was now a thing. Also, they added the licensing for the World Rally Championship for NASCAR and for Super GT car licenses. So those are all things at that point. Yeah, you definitely weren't lying. He just snapped me his disc. It's definitely the PlayStation, the Gran Turismo PSP disc. Told you that Metal Gear Acid, which it's, is hilarious because I still have never played that one. That's fantastic. So, yeah, so you could race NASCAR for the first time, which I know some people that were excited for that in GT5. Like I said, GT5 has a prologue that was released. Usually they released a prologue version a couple years in development, but a couple years before they released the full version. So it's like, a, hey, we're, we're making a new Gran Turismo. Here's a, you know, here's 100 cars to tie you over until the next one. So a quick question, and I think that you answered it there with that mentioning like the NASCAR and Super GT. So they still do the licensing system, even in the newer ones. Oh, you know, they do still do the licensing system. But in this instance, when I'm referring to a license, it's that they've never included those cars before GT5. So, oh, you mean the license to be able to include them? In yeah, the game. yeah, yeah, yeah. OK, yeah. I yeah. understand now. I'm also I think that you have to earn specific licenses to race in those specific championships in the game. So I think it's column A and column B. 
but don't hold me to that because I haven't played GT5 in a long, long time, and I don't remember it very well. But fair enough. That was the first time you saw rally cars, world like our WRC cars, NASCAR, NASCARs, or NASCARs, NASCAR stock cars, cars, stock cars, or super GT cars in any of the any of the Gran Turismo's. So it is the second best selling PlayStation 3 game. Also, the second best selling game in the series altogether. Since we're on that topic, what do you think the best selling PlayStation 3 game is? Hmm. Wouldn't happen to be Grand Theft Auto again, would it? Yeah, it'd be GTA 5. <laughs> <laughs> and if you want to go PS4, you want to guess? It's actually it's, not, probably, but... I have no clue. I didn't even think to look it up, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was still GTA 5. 2013 brought us Gran Turismo 6 with even more content. They, you know, they took what they did in GTA 5 and they blew it up. In 2017, we got Gran Turismo Sport which was basically Gran Turismo Prologue for seven. It's more focused on online racing. They added FIA, FIA licensing in Gran Turismo Sport. What else? It was basically a prologue, lesser cars, um, more focused on the online, like I said. They've added a lot of updates to it. So like in the beginning, they started off with 100 cars, and now I think there's 300 and some cars in GT Sport. Um, but it is more of a prologue. Um, it is more of a prologue. And our most recent entry in the series was 2002. Gran Turismo 7 was released for the PS4 and the PS5. It's the first multi-console version in the entire series. And it finally brought the uh, series into the virtual reality realm. They patched it to have uh, support for the PlayStation VR headset at, at some point. Too, so that's awesome so yeah so gran turismo is still going strong the thing with this entire series is that it has pushed the technological limitations of every console i said from the very first one that one of the things i remember from the first one is how realistic it looked like i remember i remember being in awe of how good it looked and every subsequent version of this game that was a jump that was that always blew my mind every version looked more realistic and more realistic and more realistic and they every version you know looked more realistic every version felt better later ones you got you know weather you got day and night that was realistic like every generation took the all the new power in the new generation of consoles and it took advantage of it and made it better. Going through the history of Gran Turismo is very much going through the history of what it means to look and feel like a representation of each generation of gaming consoles. It's one of my favorite game series to compare and show people this is what a technological leap from second generation to third generation, third generation. Well, it didn't start till what third generation, fourth generation, actually. This is what a technological leap from generation to generation looks like. It's one of the easiest because there's a version of it in every generation, too. There aren't a lot of game series that can say that either. You know what I mean? Uh, Grand Theft Auto, but, you know. 
Yes, Grand Theft Auto. That is also true. <laughs> that is true. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say that one's got it beat on every console for a reason. <laughs> yeah. Except yeah. the original PlayStation. But, you know, the original Grand Theft Auto and London were just OK. I you know, it may have a beat for sales. It may have a beat for gameplay. But like in terms of everything. But I think that if you were to compare it to like, this is how good this is how good a game on the system can look and feel. I think Gran Turismo would smack it around every time. It's just not this. It's not the style Absolutely. of game. Yeah, it's not a gameplay loop that draws people in like Grand Theft Auto is. It's not a, it's not a story. It's a grind. And that grind is not for everyone. You know, I no. I am not as into that grind as I used to be. When I was younger, I loved grindy games because I had all the time in the world to do the grind, right? So games back then, like I wanted to 100 percent everything. I remember spending way more time than I admit, like getting gold and all the license tests because I wanted to 100 percent that game. And now I just want my license. I don't care about gold, getting gold on them. Just let me move on to the next content. I don't have time to be that great at this game anymore, you know? Yeah, I bounce back and forth myself. I mean, there are times where it's. I want 100% the game, and then there are times where it's... I guess it depends really how into the game am I is what I end up feeling it is. Because if I'm super into the game, like obviously RuneScape, I want to do everything I can to complete that, which that's a task that even I don't know that I'll ever have time in my life for. Well, I mean, 20 years of pounding and you're still going, so... Yeah, and I'm not even probably a tenth of the percent of content. <laughs> let's let's be honest. There's so yeah. much that I've never done and I'm just learning about now 20 years later. But I mean, there's like Assassin's Creed. Those were games that I was so into that I would take the time to 100 percent. But I mean, thinking of games I've played recently, I just I can't think of one that I'm like, yeah, I want to spend hundreds of hours doing this because if you really love it, it's going to be the game that you're going to go to when you have free time and you're going to do it. Yeah. Grand, so. Turismo, Grand Turismo was a very big series for me. I looked forward to everyone. I was in love with it probably until the PlayStation 3 era. I just, I did I even own a PlayStation 3? I didn't even own a PlayStation 3. So I, it kind of fell off the radar for me then and I never picked it back up. I have subsequently played 5. I know I've raced NASCARs in Grand Turismo. I think I skipped 6. I have played 7. It's just that loop doesn't like that that ultra realistic simulator doesn't appeal to me as much anymore you know i tried it with forza motorsport this year on the xbox side of things and it just it it doesn't grab me anymore it just that's you know people people their tastes change but for a while i mean i could honestly say i played every bit of the first gran turismo every absolute bit of the first gran turismo that was a game that my best friend and i would sit on weekends and race around those tracks and it had endurance races that were you know hours long because that was you know it was doing all sorts of cool things so yeah this was a big series for me at some point in my life and it's unfortunate that i can't say the same i obviously did a lot more with the need for speeds um and the forzas with the exception of motorsport and i really wish that i had gotten into gran turismo sooner obviously the playstation portable version is just it's a portable game. You know, it's not going to be the same as the console editions. And 
I do love that grind, that progression system and things. And I don't know how I never really got into Gran Turismo. Maybe it's just at the time I was so into the arcade racing and stuff. And now that I have a, like a racing wheel that I can use, it's a little different because I enjoy that stuff. And because I mean, I also think that because I have the ability to drive and could go to a track if I wanted to, I want to learn better. So I think that may be a drive part of it, too, that I want to be able to translate that into something I can really do and getting to a point in my life where that is feasible. It's more enjoyable, I feel, even though gaming is our escape from life, when there's something you can do that also translates into real life, it's always kind of cool. I really think that this series is for you. I still think to this day it's probably the golden standard for racing simulators, at least for me. I know there's a lot of good ones. I know that iRacing tries to be one on the PC side because, you know, Gran Turismo has never switched over to the PC to anything but PlayStation exclusivity. Um, I know you have like a set of Corsa that people really love. There's a lot of great racing simulators out there. I still think that 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 like this game has 26 years of experience now built off that original and it shows i still think this is it you know what i'm gonna circle back to that in just a second to kind of to kind of go off of what you said but one of the cool parts about all of this this whole journey for polyphony digital is that their love of all things cars which really shines through their creation of gran turismo has allowed them to get involved with automotive projects in the real world 2007 They were contracted to design the multifunction display on the new Nissan GTR. It's a display that displays things like G-force, acceleration opening, brake pedal pressure, steering angle. Nissan said that they chose Polyphony because of their simple menu system that they applied in their video games, such as Gran Turismo. So these dudes just work their way into auto engineering. It's even it's even better than it's way even better than that. Nissan commissioned them to design a special body kit for the 350Z. One of the tuning kits in GT4 was so popular that Nissan actually started offering it as a tuning package for existing owners of the actual 350Z to go purchase and get put onto their car. Oh, my God. I think it was GT4. It may have been GT5. They actually, when they revealed the design for the the current Corvette, the new Corvette, they introduced it into the game as a camouflage car, right? So we we know what camouflage is, right? We we live in Metro Detroit. They, they, They drive. If you don't know what this is, whenever they're testing a new model and they don't want people to see what it looks like, because the look of a car is a very big thing. They cover it in camouflage panels. They're like these cloth camouflage that hides the body. Is that a, is that a good description? They do that, or I believe decaling is another thing where they put a lot of really obscure patterns that kind of block the body yeah. lines. If you've never seen this, just look it up online. Uh, Car and Driver will have tons of them and things like that. Uh, it's a very unique look and it's one that you see on the road and you're once you first you see it for the first time you're like what in the hell is that but like dave said being in metro detroit where a lot of the big manufacturers are you get used to it pretty quick so they when they were getting ready to unveil the new corvette like months before they actually unveiled it they brought it into gran turismo as a camouflage car it was the car it was camouflaged And it actually had the performance data 
of the new Corvette. And then when they unveiled it, literally at the moment they pulled the camouflage cover off at the car show, they took the cover off of the Corvette in the actual game too. Wow. Like a scene popped up where it like disintegrated and unveiled the actual body of the car. So that Corvette got a digital, like a Gran Turismo release as it got a real release. Holy shit. That is incredible. And there are special versions of cars. Nissan has what's called the Nismo, Nissan Motorsports, Nismo editions, which are largely inspired by Gran Turismo. Um, And we're going to get Nissan and and Gran Turismo have a fantastic relationship. I'm going to get back to more of that in just a second. But they have actually manufacturers have taken their prototype data and put it into Gran Turismo to test things out because it is such an accurate representation of the real life performance of a car, which again, hold that thought. You're going to love the rest of this. So Kaz's so Yamauchi Kaz Kaz I can can't get his name I don't know why it's Kazunori Yamauchi he's still the CEO of Polyphony right he's still going strong in order to aid with the with the development of the original Gran Turismo he had to learn how to race cars like actually race cars and that has branched into an actual racing career. In August of 2009, he joined the World Car Awards team at the Nurburgring Endurance Series. He drove a Lexus ISF. He clocked a 10-minute, 9-second lap, which was best on his team, and his team recorded a class win. Later that year, he joined the 25 Hours of Thunder Hill in a Honda Civic Type R. The team had all sorts of technical issues, so it wasn't a great outing, but that didn't dissuade him. In 2010, he took part in the 24 Hours of Nurburgring. They brought over the Lexus ISF in 2010. They placed 59th overall and 4th in class. In 2011, they took that fancy Nissan GTR to the track. They placed 36th overall and 1st in their class. And they repeated a class win in 2012. To be fair, in 2012, because the GTR is a turbo engine, it's an SP8, uh, naturally aspirated turbo engine, SP8T. There were only two SB8T cars in 2012. Not a not a perf- not a great feat to win your class, but they did it anyways. At least they didn't come in second. You know what I mean? Yeah. In 2013, they brought a specially tuned GTR, which bumped it up a class to SP9. They were less than competitive there. They were 135th overall and 22nd in their class. 2014, they were 14th overall and 11th in their class. And in 2016 in Nürburgring, he got to drive a BMW M6 GT3 around that track. He finished 22nd and 18th in his class. And what's crazy about all that is all of his driving experience comes from Gran Turismo. That's insane. About 10 years ago, they produced a documentary that I watched. It's called Kaz Pushing the Virtual Divide. And in it, he literally says he learned to drive from the game. And it all kind of went hand in hand. He gained the experience from making the game and was surprised to find that when he finally got into one of these race cars, that the simulation was really close to the actual feeling of being in a race car, like of racing a car. And then in turn, as he learned to race, he and, and he's a really good driver. There are multiple people that were like, boy, we were surprised when that man got behind the wheel. He took that racing experience and he put it back into the series. So video games aren't your thing. 
just kind of speak to this more. You know, Gran Turismo drove its way into the box offices. They released a Gran Turismo movie earlier this year. And Gran Turismo tells a true story of a teenage Gran Turismo player who becomes a professional racing car driver by competing through the GT Academy. And this is what I want to circle back to. So the GT Academy, have you ever heard of the GT Academy before? Never. It was a TV show that was on, I don't know where, from 2008 to 2016. And basically, skilled Gran Turismo players could earn an opportunity to race for Nissan. And the Gran Turismo movie is the true story of one of the racers doing it. But every year they had someone do it and they took them like they qualified by racing like GT6. This is the GT6 era when that when that show was on. So they had to qualify by racing online and posting like some of the best scores. And then they'd bring them and make them compete together. And then they would actually take them to a racing academy called the GT Academy and they would put them through the paces in an actual racing academy. And what they were finding was that these guys who were playing Grand Theft Auto were like Grand Theft Auto, Grand Turismo. <laughs> I was <GTA>. like, <laughs> these guys that were playing Grand Turismo at the level that they needed to be to make it into the academy were just as good as guys who had been racing 10, 15 years. And what? so they brought all these guys in and every single one of them, I mean, none of them are like, you know, racing in the series that we're used to, right? Like F1 or NASCAR or anything like that. But they're racing in these like offshoot series, like the FIA series and the World Cup series and things like that. And they're all like incredibly competitive race car drivers in those series, like podium winning race car drivers in the series that they were put in racing for team Nissan. And so like, it's true. Gran Turismo is a very accurate simulation. And not only do people gain experience from it that translates to the real world, but like I said, car manufacturers also use it as an opportunity to bring their cars into the game to get an accurate representation of what it's going to feel like. They actually still make all their car models for the game by hand and clay, and then they scan them into the game to get the bodies for the cars nowadays. They have a whole workshop where they do it by hand. Not just, I don't know. I don't know. That's such a, like, they literally design cars the way car manufacturers design cars. You know what I mean? I'm just waiting for the GT car, man. It's going to happen. They're going to produce a car. They gotta. They gotta. Yeah, if you ever get a chance to go back and play a Gran Turismo, I, I just me knowing you and your love of, of cars and simulations, I really do think that you would you would adore a Gran Turismo game, especially a modern one. I mean, the old ones were good, but they're dated. Like the modern ones, modern ones would really hit the mark for you. I mean, there's the mountain climbs in there and the endurance races in there and rally racing is in there. And like everything you could possibly think of and all these different races and types. And um, there's just so many cars and content and everything. I, I just think that you get a, a, a really big kick out of this series. So it's definitely sounding like it. I, if I get a PlayStation again, I will have to give this a try. You would, you definitely have to give it a try. It is, it is your thing. So, but it's kind of amazing to think of that, like 
you know, Team Eco and every other team, you know, all these other things that we talked about, they all got their start from Japan Studio, this little, I mean, it, it wasn't even its own division. When Japan Studio was created, it was a division of Sony Music, Sony Music Entertainment. When these guys got the start, they technically worked for the music side of Sony's business. And now here they are, their own company, making cars, making prototypes, you know, like Cass says he's living a dream, right? He envisioned a, a making a simulator that people would be used to translate into real life skills. And that actually happened. He has used his game to find successful race car drivers. And, and, and that, that if anything is a testament to how great they are, you know? No, absolutely. He hit the mark right on the head. And he definitely had hit a the fantastic mark. team behind him to help make it all happen. He did. He did a lot of the, you know, there's there the core of the team is, well, I mean, there's some guys that are still there, like I said. So if you want to check out the episodes on the other studios from Japan Studio or on the Sony PlayStation themselves, this all came from the same time period. Of course, you can find our old episodes at our website at www.memorycardlane.com. Rob, what else can people find on our website? Well, Dave, people can find a calendar of future episodes. You can find links to our Discord where you can come hang out with Dave and I. You can find links to our Patreon where you can help support Dave and I in the production of this podcast and get access to both unedited and ad-free episodes. And you can also find links to our social media where I am on several platforms is Rob underscore O underscore Raptor and Dave. I can be found on various platforms as David is wrong each week. We tell you the story about one topic relevant to the current week in gaming history. While doing so, we hope to teach you something new about the topic, what it took from the world as its inspiration, or what it gave back to the world in its legacy. Whole lot in this one. One of the nice things about doing this podcast every week is that, you know, in order to bring all this information to you, we do more than our share of research, and we always learn things. So in recognition of this whole learning teaching, we like to teach things cycle uh, we like to talk about what we learn. So Rob, what did you learn today? I learned a whole hell of a lot. Uh, this game series obviously didn't really click with me when I was young and, uh, I didn't realize how big Gran Turismo was. I learned today finally what the hell a Nismo was because I've seen that for so long and I've never understood it. And I was just like, Oh cool. They got a Nismo car in here. That's cool. But I now finally understand what the hell that means. Uh, I think it's fantastic that Kaz went and became a race car driver to help yeah. translate back into the game. I mean, th this is just chock full of incredible things. So uh, I, just fantastic. So that's that's those are my big takeaways of the week. How about you, Dave? I love the fact that they hid the production of Gran Turismo in Motor Tune Kart Racing or whatever it was called. Motor Tune Grand Prix. I that fascinates me to no end. Kaz knew what he wanted to do from the very beginning. He didn't take no for an answer. And they hid the beginning, the initial development of this game in another game. You know, they they created the they started writing the physics engine for Gran Turismo in Motor Tune Grand Prix. And just the fact that they did that, the fact that they hid the development of this game inside these other games, waiting for a chance to make the game they wanted. I'm just I, I I'm in love with that concept. I think it's so cool. 
That is extremely fantastic. I I just think that's that just gets me every time. And then, yeah, there's a lot of great other stuff in here. You know, they. I wasn't kidding, like this series is is always the mark by which by which you can see where the technology of the time stands every single time. It's fantastic for it. I'm sure someone's made a video on YouTube. I didn't go look, but you should go look like comparing all the versions of, of Gran Turismo. So. All right, Rob. Well, that'll do it for our Gran Turismo episode. Yay. Yay. And, and and before I look at next week, is there anything you'd like to add to today's episode? Well, Dave, as always, we do want to take one quick moment to say thank you so much to all of our listeners. It means the world to us to have you here, and we hope that you enjoy learning and finding out cool little facts about video games. Absolutely. 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 All right. Well, if you're a longtime listener to this podcast, you know that for the last week of the year, every year, we cut ourselves some slack. It's the only time I cut us some slack. Our last episode is always just it's a fluff episode. We look back at the past year. We look forward and talk about what we have going on for next year. It's a short episode, just a nice short year in review. So same time, same place. Join us again next week as we look back at our own year in history on yet another trip down memory card lane. Do the thing. Skibidim dap 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 d